Congregation, I may proclaim to you this morning the word we cherish. The text for this morning's sermon then is found in the passage, the last passage we read from, from Matthew 26. Our focus will be on the verses 46 through 50. And let us read those words again. There our Lord Jesus says, Rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with him, was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. When I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. And the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And so far, our text. And after the proclamation of God's word, let us respond in song. Let us sing from Psalm 69, stanzas 6, 7, and 12. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, friends, do you have any friends, close friends? Why do I ask? Because many in today's world question the need for friends. As we live in a world where true friendship is not experienced by many In fact, we're told in today's world, you don't need friends. You don't need anyone besides yourself. You must be your own best friend. Besides, you cannot trust anyone else anyway. And so, yes, the solution to being friendless is to pretend you don't need friends. So completely focused on oneself prevents many from enjoying true friendship with others. And so many around us, young and old alike, live in horrendous loneliness. Now God's people are not immune from this kind of mentality. We too can be caught up in the thinking that friendship, yes, fellowship is a nice thing, but not really possible. We can be so disappointed in friendship that we have given up hope of having any true friends or having true fellowship with others. But, beloved, we must simply face up to the reality that when it comes to true friendship, disappointments are to be expected. For all of us are sinners, not one of us is perfect, and being imperfect people, we will inevitably disappoint those around us whom we love from time to time. And this can be very painful. Yes, someone who has been our A friend before all of a sudden is no longer a friend. Yet someone who has been loyal to us through many years turns on us, betrays us. And we need not despair when we face these things. We're not condemned to live lonely lives like so many around us. We may experience the blessing of friendship, of true fellowship, Thanks to what Jesus Christ suffered there on Good Friday. 
For here was our Lord and Savior who, who suffered betrayal of a very close friend. He was betrayed by Judas, one of his 12 disciples. He was betrayed with the kiss of one who had been very, very close to him. Who had been very, very loyal to him. And so it started. Eventually on Good Friday, Jesus Christ would come to the point of being completely alone. Having no fellowship at all. Being completely rejected by all. Causing him to cry out at the very end, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yes, our Lord Jesus Christ endured Judas' kiss. And so much more on Good Friday. So that we might enjoy friendship. So that we might enjoy fellowship. Yes, with our Lord and Savior. But also with those around us. Those in our marriage, in our families, and in the church of Christ. And so God's word comes to you this morning summarized under this theme. The Lord was betrayed by the kiss of a friend. So that we might enjoy fellowship forever. And we'll pay attention to two things. First, the betrayal sealed. And second, the blessings restored. I repeat, the Lord was betrayed by a kiss of a friend. So that we might enjoy fellowship forever. And we'll look at the betrayal sealed and the blessings restored. Rise up. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. These are the opening words of our text spoken by our Lord Jesus Christ. And these words, beloved, make very clear that Jesus Christ knew Judas, one of his twelve, would betray him. In fact, some time before, Jesus Christ had prophesied that he would be betrayed. It was while he was heading up to Jerusalem that Jesus Christ had said, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, turn him over to the Gentiles, to the Romans, to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and then on the third day he would be raised to life. In fact, even in the last week of his earthly ministry, Jesus Christ prophesied the same. As we read this morning, Jesus said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over. He will be betrayed to be crucified. And beloved, it happened exactly as Jesus prophesied. For yes, the plot to arrest Jesus was hatched. As we read also this morning, then the chief priests, the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest Caiaphas and they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and to kill him. Oh, not during the feast, that is the feast of Passover, they said. There might be a riot among the people. And so at first, at first they planned to arrest Jesus later on, but then things changed. For who came to the chief priests and the elders? Well, none other than Judas. Now, what brought Judas to these leaders of God's people? Well, there was the incident in Bethany. 
Mary poured that precious perfume on Jesus' head. The disciples were indignant, and especially Judas Iscariot. As we know from the Gospel of John, it was, it was he who had objected the most, who had said, why, why was this perfume not sold and the, and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. I'm talking big coin here. Yet as we read in the Gospel of John, he didn't say this because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. Yes, as the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in. That's what hypocrisy, what selfishness. And Judas didn't repent. For look at what Judas did next. Yes, he, one of the twelve, went went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand Jesus over to you? Talk about unrestrained selfishness. And so they counted it out. Yet 30 pieces of silver. For a mere 30 pieces of silver, Jesus was betrayed. But first, Judas had to look for that opportunity to betray Jesus. And that opportunity came Judas' way with the celebration of the Passover. There was Jesus celebrating this feast with his disciples. And then Jesus, no doubt, stunned them by prophesying at this feast, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And this made the disciples really sad, and they began to say to Jesus, one after the other, surely not I, Lord, not I. And then Jesus answered, he he who has dipped his hand into the bowl together with me, he, he will betray me. But weren't all the twelve disciples dipping their hands into the bowl together with Jesus? Judas was not the only one. And so, yes, Jesus knew who his betrayer was, but he didn't identify his betrayer to the other, the other 11 disciples. And so why did the Lord Jesus say this about his betrayer? Well, in this way, the Lord Jesus still earnestly warned the, all the disciples, including Judas, in hoping, yes, to bring him to repentance. He says, Jesus said, woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And yet Judas remained unrepentant. For what did Judas do next? He left the upper room to go to the chief priests and the elders. And not much later, yes, then Jesus and the other twelve, or the other disciples, also left the upper room. And where did they go? They went to the garden of Gethsemane, there on the Mount of Olives. Now Judas knew where Jesus was going. As you can read in the Gospel of John. Now Judas who betrayed him knew the place. Because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. And so as we read then in our text of this morning. While Jesus was still speaking. Judas one of the twelve arrived. And Judas didn't arrive alone. With Judas was a large crowd sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And who formed this large crowd? 
Well, as we know from the other Gospels, there was a detachment of Roman soldiers. And there were also then some officials from the chief priests and the elders from the Sanhedrin. And yes, this large crowd was ready to use force to arrest our Lord and Savior. They carried swords and clubs. And there's a problem. How do you make sure you arrest the right man in a dark night? Sure, it was full moon. And as we know again from the Gospel of John, they came with torches and lanterns. Yet even then, try to identify someone in a dark night. It was long before the time of photography. The faces of the well-known wouldn't have been widely known as they are today. And so, yes, Judas the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss, that's the one you need to arrest. And that's what Judas did as he came near the Lord He went up to the Lord Jesus and he said, Greetings, Rabbi. And then he kissed him. And then the men stepped forward. They seized Jesus. They arrested him. Yes, this arrest could have gone down in many different ways. Judas could have simply stepped close to Jesus and pointed to him and and said, Yeah, this this is the man. And there would have been another way to go about it. But what way did Judas choose? He chose the most intimate, the most personal way that he could think of. He chose the kiss. Judas greeted Jesus and then kissed him. As if everything was normal. Yes, a kiss of all things to to use to seal Jesus' betrayal, a kiss. For what was a kiss all about? Now, beloved, in the ancient Near East, friends, relatives would often greet each other with a kiss. Even today, in, in many Eastern cultures, a kiss is a kiss of greeting is, is, is still custom. Here in the West, too, we too use a kiss to greet very close family and friends. So it's still considered normal, I hope. And yes, in God's words, a kiss. A kiss was a symbol of, of friendship, of, of fellowship, a sign of love, of loyalty. And with a few exceptions, the kiss, as mentioned in God's word, was devoid of any erotic or romantic content. Yes, as we can read in God's word, just children kiss their parents and and parents kiss their children for example Jacob kissed his father Isaac we also read in God's word of siblings who kissed each other for example when Moses and Aaron met each other they they kissed each other we also read in God's word of close friends who kissed each other for example we read of David and Jonathan who kissed each other And also, beloved, it was not unusual for students to greet their teacher, their rabbi, with a kiss. Yes, these kisses, they they pointed to love, to loyalty to each other, a fellowship between one another. Beloved, do we see what happened then here between Judas and Jesus? 
Judas chose that essential sign of love and loyalty towards others to betray his Lord and Master. Yes, so Judas showed his deep-seated hatred for our Lord and Savior who throughout their time together had only shown him love. Now, beloved, this was not the first time in God's word that that a kiss was used to betray someone, to deceive someone. Just think of Jacob's kiss of his father Isaac. We all know that story from Genesis very well. Disguised as Esau, Jacob brought a meal to his father and then the charade began. Isaac expressed surprise that Esau was so soon back from the fields. And then Jacob replied, well the Lord God granted me success. But that blind Isaac was not convinced that that man in his tent was his oldest son. And then he asked him to come near to him. Then he felt his hands. And he thought, yeah, it, it must be Esau. And then Isaac asked Esau to serve him the meal. And then after eating that meal, he was going to give the blessing. And after he finished that meal, Isaac was still suspicious. And then he said, come near and kiss me, son. And then, yes, Jacob kissed his father. And then Isaac caught the smell of Esau's clothes. He smelled the country. He smelled the open fields. This finally convinced Isaac that the man who kissed him was his favorite son, Esau. And so Isaac blessed him. Yes, through betrayal, sealed with a kiss, Jacob, the father of Israel, seized the covenant blessings for himself and his descendants. He seized them wrongly. And now we have Jesus, the great son of Israel, betrayed also by a deceiver's kiss. And it's he who rightfully obtained the covenant blessings. Indeed, Jesus Christ suffered betrayal. He suffered this betraying kiss by Judas so that he might restore to us God's covenant blessings. Indeed, Jesus Christ was subject to such horrible betrayal of one of his close twelve. He endured this and so much more so that we might be grafted into him by true faith and once again enjoy, yes, fellowship. And the blessings of fellowship. As in Jesus Christ, in his suffering and death, the blessings are restored. And that brings us to our second point. Now what is Jesus' reply to Judas' kiss? Jesus said to Judas, friend, do what you came for. Beloved, these are most telling words. Friend, do what you came for. Jesus knew what Judas had come to do. Jesus had prophesied that this would happen. He wasn't taken by surprise in the darkness of the night. Friend, do what you came for. As these words may sound strange, even disturbing. Anyone else in this situation would have been filled with fear. But here we have our Lord and Savior filled with determination 
Instead of resisting arrest, he, he urged it on. Get on with it. Friend, do what you came for. It's these words, beloved, who tell us what or who is in charge. Jesus Christ was no victim of, of a tragic set of circumstances. Now our Lord Jesus Christ knew he had to go down this road, this road of humiliation. He knew that he would be betrayed by one of his close ones, by one of his closest friends. Yes, he knew he had to suffer all of this along the way. And Jesus Christ did not resist. Rather, he voluntarily surrendered himself to those who arrested him. Yes, as we read here in our text, the men stepped forward and they seized Jesus and they arrested him. He surrendered himself without a fight in order to reconcile us to God and to one another so that we might live in fellowship, in friendship with God and with one another. Yes, Jesus Christ suffered betrayal of his friend Judas. Is that is the way Jesus addressed Judas here as, as a friend? In this way, Jesus fulfilled the words of Psalm 55, which we sang. My friend appears now as a traitor, a sleek-tongued covenant violator. So a close friend betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. He violated the covenant of love. Judas should have loved the Lord Jesus Christ. But with his kiss, he showed the exact opposite. Beloved, in this way, our Lord knows what betrayal is all about. He knew what it was to be left all alone. To be completely forsaken by those who were once so very close. He's able to sympathize with us. For don't we all know about betrayal in one way or another? Yes, betrayal by our friends. Yes, our friends, be they our spouse, our siblings, our fellow saints. Yes, they're not always loving and loyal towards us. We expect them to be there for us and they're not. Yes, these friends can bring us a great deal of pain when they turn on us and sometimes even become our enemies. And how often are we ourselves not always so loving and loyal to our friends? How often can we not be backstabbers? Jesus Christ's friend Judas really wasn't a friend. That becomes clear from the word Jesus uses here for friend. The word used here for friend is not the common biblical word for friend. Now the word friend here is, is used in warning and in admon, admonishing. For here was a friend who was acting in a very shameful, a very sinful way. Here was a friend who was acting like an enemy. Here was a man who was not filled with love and loyalty, but with hatred and deceit. Beloved, thankfully, thankfully, Jesus Christ remained loyal and loving throughout all his suffering, even in his death. Yes, as Jesus Christ said in John 15, verse 13 and 14, greater love has no one than this. And he laid down his life for his friends. 
Indeed, Jesus Christ's loyalty and love is much greater than his friends. He has much greater than those, the love and the loyalty of Peter and Judas and the rest. For though Jesus Christ knew that they would all forsake him, yet he in love laid down his life for them. He went to the cross in perfect loving Obedience to his father in complete loyalty to his friends, to the twelve, but also for us. And so then, who are the Lord's true friends? As the Lord Jesus said there in John 15, you are my friends if you do what I command. Yes, the Lord Jesus considers those who live in true love and loyalty to him to be his friends. And so if you look in God's word, you will see that Moses was called God's friend. Abram too was called God's friend. Yes, these men, men of old, they believed the Lord God. They believed his promise of salvation in Jesus Christ. They obeyed the command of our Lord and Savior to be loyal to him and to love him much. And beloved, we're also his friends if we obey his commands. Yes, obeying him, being loyal to him, means that we take seriously what he says. That seriousness must then show in the way we live each and every day. We must live each day in complete love for his commands. This also means that we cannot friends with the roots and him at the same time. For friendship with the world is hatred towards the Lord God. Indeed, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And so we will sing at the end of this service. And let us see what this friendship of the Lord is all about. Let's realize that friendship with the Lord is not a friendship of equals. Let us not look at the Lord Jesus as the good buddy next door. No, beloved, we are admitted into the relationship of friendship with God and Jesus Christ because of Christ's loyalty, because of Christ's love. It's thanks to his love, to his faithfulness even unto death, we are his friends. And so this is not a relationship of equality. Notice that not one of the disciples turned apostle claim for themselves that they had God as friends. None says Jesus is my friend. Rather, they see themselves as servants. And yet he says we are his friends when we do what he commands us. Yes, it is our Lord Jesus Christ who admits us into the fellowship of his friendship. And yes, thanks to Jesus Christ... We can also then as church enjoy friendship. Yes, fellowship with one another. As we belong to the church that is built on the foundation of the twelve apostles. Yes, Judas was not part of that foundation. He was the son of perdition. The foundation needed to be restored. Someone who had witnessed Jesus Christ's death and resurrection would replace Judas. And so the Lord God, through his Son, through the working of his Spirit, 
build a New Testament church. And in that church there is to be fellowship. There is to be friendship. And it's here that we may enjoy the full blessing of friendship with one another. And so let us not be on an island by ourselves. Let us not think ourselves better than others here. Let us not ignore one another. Let us not isolate ourselves from one another. And then complain we have no friendship, no fellowship in the church. Let us realize that friendship, yes, fellowship is important to all of us. It is pivotal for congregational life. It's essential in marriages. Without friends, beloved, life is tragically lonely. And so let us seek out friendship, yes, fellowship with one another here. Yes, as children, let us seek to be friendly to those around us at school. Let it be that no one stands alone there on the playground with no one to talk with, with no one to share with. And yes, as young people, let us seek to include those who are living on the edge, who may be different from the rest of us, and as a result are very much on their own. And yes, as adults, married and single, let us seek out fellowship first with one another here in the church. Let us seek to include those who have no friends who enjoy very little fellowship. And then I ask, and will we be willing to show we have friendship with one another? Yes, fellowship with one another by greeting one another with a holy kiss. Yes, this is what happened in the early church. You read through the letters of Paul and Peter. In Paul's letters you read, often at the conclusion, greet one another with a holy kiss. Peter did the same in his letter. Greet one another with a kiss of love. This is how the early church openly expressed their fellowship. Expressed it in a very visible, a very tangible, a very open way. As this holy kiss was a sign of fellowship with Christ, fellowship with one another. Now we don't greet each other when we come here with a kiss. Yes, methods of greeting we can say vary from culture to culture, from age to age. Some of the answers, not customary for us to kiss each other as we meet together as congregation on this day. Beloved, we should have some some kind of sign to express our friendship with one another, our love and loyalty to one another. Well, today we often do this with the handshake. Yes, let us indeed be willing to shake one another's hands. Let us be more than willing to express, give visible expression to the friendship we have with one another in this or some other way. And so let us be truly united in Christ. Who was betrayed my kiss? Greet them one another joyfully. Knowing that we are fellow heirs of the blessings of God's covenant. Amen.